And I'm not talking about the dishwashing detergent. We're talking about joy. The joy that is the Lord's strength. Yes? If you don't have joy, I know someone who can supply it. Amen? (laughs) I do, in fact, know someone. We're going to be looking both at Matthew's Gospel and the Acts of the Apostles today. And uh, they're going to be up behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. But it's going to be, of all places in Matthew, Matthew 2. How many of you could have guessed that if I gave you 30 seconds? Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to also look in the, the, uh, throughout the chapter uh, of Acts, the 13th chapter, both early and late in it. But you know what that gentleman on our video just said, that is a powerful sentence. If we just stop and we just will take the opportunity to ponder concerning how the path of our life individually, how the path of our life has been unfolding as we have made our way through the many ups and downs. How many of you have had ups and downs? Yeah, ups and downs in life. Well, if it wasn't for that, you know, life would be pretty flatlined, amen? But we don't have it that way. We endure the many ups and downs on the road that is our life. And those ups and downs and that road, that path, that journey has brought us to where we are right now, in this moment. Good, bad, or indifferent, the path that we have walked has led us to this point right now. And what if, what if that last statement that we just heard in that video is true about your life? If you don't know Jesus, what if that last sentence by that actor is true about your life. The journey was always leading you to Jesus. I mean, those of us who are believers, those of us who have been around a little while, we understand the Scripture, but more than just the Scripture, the scriptural concept that He makes all things work together for the good. Right? And I think there have been times in our lives or in our personal histories where we have forgotten or maybe just lacked the understanding that some of the things that we have gone through and had to endure, whether it be circumstances, events, people, got an amen out of that one, that were anything but pleasant, anything than other than what we would call blessing and blessed, those things all cumulatively, the good, the bad, and the indifferent, have all led us on a journey that was always leading us to Jesus. There is a joy, a joy, just waiting to be experienced 
by you this Christmas when you realize, when we come to the realization that the road that we have been traveling directly intersects with Christ, the Savior who was born to save all. (laughs) I'm sorry. Maybe it takes a certain spiritual maturation to grasp this reality. But no matter how bad the bad gets, no matter how dark the dark gets, if you can grasp the concept that your life has always been on a collision course with the Lord Jesus Christ because He is the infinite sovereign of all that is, if we can grasp that, no matter what the circumstances or the situations may dictate, there is joy. It is dark in the night. But what do the Scriptures say? Joy comes in the morning. There is joy. The fact is that the more the difficult your journey, the greater your joy will be when you come to the realization that He really is the Lord and the Savior of all. He is worthy to be pursued. As the deer panteth for the water brook, so my soul longeth after Thee. He is worthy of everything we have to offer Him. Once we just gain His presence. Say Amen, Wyatt. There we go. This is what the wise men ultimately did, in fact, find out when they followed that star that led them to the Messiah. Have you ever pondered that star? Have you ever thought about that whole situation? A a star that led, and then they knew which star was, in fact, above the child? That is no usual star. That is no typical star. We could go places with that. That journey that they had to take in order to get to that child, that Christ child, it was difficult. That wasn't—they they didn't go across the street to Walmart. Now, that wasn't what this was about. These folks are from a completely different area of the planet. They weren't coming from just down the block. It was a difficult journey. That journey was arduous, and it cost them. It cost them a lot of resources. It cost them a great deal in order to just make the journey. Ultimately, ultimately, it was worth it. And it allowed them to come face to face with the newborn king. I'm going to be honest with you. How many of you, when you sit here right now and you ponder your life as it has unfolded and you say, man, that journey has been long. That journey's been arduous, and I have expended a lot of resources to get where I am today. Guess what? Hey, wise man or woman, that's exactly what happened with them. We have to find ourselves at the feet of the newborn.
who's no longer a newborn, but he's the risen king. And if that journey is long, it's treacherous, it's arduous, we expend a great deal of resource in getting there, let me tell you something, that is what it's all about. Don't give up in the journey. When you find Him, lay your gifts at His feet and love the Lord. Ultimately, it was worth it. And it allowed them to come and see that brand new baby that they had only read about in prophecy, studied about, located, and was guided by a, a guided missile of a, of a star that came and stopped with the parking brake on right where that child was laid. After miles upon miles of searching and persistence in their search, the star in that night sky guided them to that Savior. Don't get weary in well-doing preach, uh, people. Don't grow weary in well-doing. The Bible says if you will not grow weary in your pursuit, do not grow weary in well-doing. The Bible tells us that in due season you will reap the benefit. I know that life is hard. Trust me. If you're a living, breathing human being who is above a certain age and not utterly clueless about how the world works, you know the world's hard. It's hard. But don't grow weary in well-doing. Because if you will persist, you will be rewarded. Can you imagine what it must have been like for those those wise men to finally show up, enter that little stall, which probably they didn't even give a think of, a single thought about. They were so persistent in their pursuit of that child, they probably didn't even recognize or, or give any consideration to the surroundings. There was the star. It had guided them thus far, and it came to rest above this place. They probably looked at each other and says, Is the journey finally over? Is this it? Are we here? I don't know. Let's, it stopped. It's not moving. It stopped. Let's go. They go in. What happens to them? How many of you have felt the palpable presence of the Lord God in your life? Raise your hand. Can you imagine what that stable must have been like that night? These boys weren't Holy Spirit filled. These are, these guys are from a foreign country, at least one from a from at least one foreign country, maybe more. And here they 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 come in up on here's this 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 young girl having just given birth. I mean, that's that's not an unusual occasion. But this is Emmanuel. Can you imagine what the atmosphere must have been like? Hmm. Now I realize the timeline discrepancy. I get all that. But we're not talking in terms of that. It's just, wow. The emotion that must have been engaged. The reverence. The awe. They must have 
Well, the Bible says that they stop and they worship. They probably couldn't have helped it. The story is told in Matthew's Gospel. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 2. And this is how it goes. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Here, as the wise men departed from the one that they had invested so much in order to find, they probably, on their journey back home, they probably were, sh- were in the, the habit or the, the practice of sharing their story about the journey, the star, the experience with the newborn, etc., with people that they would come in contact on that journey back home. It's speculation, but it's quite possibly the case. A star that was that bright, and let's be honest, that uncharacteristic, would not have been some hidden phenomenon uh, that others that who lived in that region wouldn't have seen. That star would likely have been something that people would have remembered when the wise men were, were telling them about their story and what, where had they had been and what they had seen, how they had traveled, and how it ultimately led them to Jesus. They probably shared their encounter with the Christ child to anyone who would listen. I mean, you just heard how they reacted when they got to that place where the child was. They just, they stopped. They had to worship. It was compulsory. So the likelihood is if anybody was even 
maybe not so willing, but there to hear, they were telling their story. They probably shared their encounter with the Christ child with anybody and everyone. They set out with a purpose. They found that purpose in this baby who had been foretold by the prophets of old. And let me tell you something, they probably shared that. Jesus came from heaven to earth, and He did it on purpose. And He did it with you and me in mind. That was the purpose. We talked about redemption and salvation several weeks ago. That was the purpose of His coming to earth. I, God so loved the world that He would go to the uttermost ends to regain them as His love. And He redeemed the whole of mankind. He was here on purpose. And yeah, guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, you also were created on purpose for a purpose. Yeah. You heard what the what we're speculating, what we're theorizing about the wise men? Guess what? You had to make a long, arduous, costly journey to the cross. Now it's time we tell anybody and everyone who will listen to the one that we came in contact with at the end of that journey. Mm, mm, mm. Part of that purpose is to experience the joy that a life-changing, <laughs> trajectory-altering relationship with Jesus gives to anyone and everyone who puts their faith, who puts their hope, and their trust in Him for salvation. Did anybody... Was your life changed when you got saved? Let me ask you this. Was your trajectory altered? Yeah. Did that make you happy? Does that bring you joy? At just the right time on your journey through life, it is as if our stars aligned in just the right manner, at just the right time, in order to point you and I to the One whose birth we celebrate at this time of year. It was almost like, No! It is all things work together, and He makes it such. To draw us to His feet. Perhaps this is the first time, maybe, this is the first time you've ever really stopped on your journey through life. Maybe it is. And pause long enough, scratch your head, touch your whiskers if you have them. Look up and see that God has been waiting for you to connect with you and to help you connect the dots in your life that have led you toward Jesus. Just stop and look at what you... Are you looking at your life's path as separate, broken, fragmented, 
events that have nothing to do with anything at all. And if you could, you would just delete some of that out of there. When in reality, as you live your life, the sovereign God who has redeemed you back to Himself is making something of you and changing the downward trajectory of your path to a trajectory that leads directly to the foot of the cross. Maybe we just need to take a minute sometimes, scratch our head, touch our whiskers, and think, you know what? He really is that big. He really is that big. Perhaps you once walked your path of life in ways that maybe you felt close to the Lord. And maybe right now, not so much. Somewhere along the road, maybe you took a detour. And you now find yourself farther away from Him than you even thought you were. You know, we can normalize a lot of stuff as we drift from the presence of God. And if we will take a minute and stop, maybe we're not where we were. Maybe we're not where we want to be. And maybe we just need to pause and reassess. Just as the wise men were led on their journey by a star in the sky that guided them to Jesus, God does exactly that kind of thing with us, even though we're not in the Holy Land, we're not on camelback, we're not wise men, and we're not looking for a baby Messiah. God does that kind of thing still today, constantly in people's lives. Why? He takes these d- different moments and he, and he uses them to guide people to a place where they're meant to meet up with the Savior. Regardless of where you have been on your journey and how You have arrived at where you are today. God has a history of using different situations, different people, and different circumstances at just the right time to help us to see our our stars, our moments, and that those stars have a line in a way that leads to Jesus. God has a way of helping to give the right direction in our path when we need it the most. Be that through a star in the sky, like He did with the wise men, or perhaps through a person who helps to shine a light on our path, directing us toward God moments. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen a star and it guided you to Jesus. I'm going to, I'm not a betting man. Um, I'm betting no. I don't know what the odds are. I'm thinking they're in my favor. But I'm betting that for many, if not most of you, God has, in fact, used a person who, through that person or persons throughout the journey, 
they have shown a light in your life and opened your eyes to different situations, guiding you to God encounters. While there may not be a literal shining light giving direction to you right now, then again, the glare off my balding head, it could... Oh, come on now. James, I used to love you, bro. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Oftentimes, God does use these people to shine a spotlight on parts of our lives. A spotlight that points the way to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we see the Apostle Paul doing in Acts chapter 13. While, while what he said to some people uh, he crossed paths with was intended for, for them to act like or be like a spotlight on the path ahead in their lives during a specific moment. Wow, 2,000 years ago Paul did this. The fact that you are right here at the tail end of 2022 hearing this exact same interaction with Paul saying the same stuff with the same truth behind it, may mean that what was impactful 2,000 years ago when Paul said what he said is it could impact you now. Welcome to the inspiration of the Word of God. In other words, if God could use someone like Paul 2,000 years ago to help people see uh, where they have been and where they are heading, that ultimately leads to the Lord Jesus Christ, he may be doing the same thing through that same example in the Bible, but for your life today. The Apostle Paul's life was intended to be less like a star, like the one that the wise men followed, and more like a spotlight on the path of, that pointed people toward the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not stars. I don't care what position we hold. We're not stars. We're lights in the darkness. Now, I know people who think they're stars. I bet you some of y'all know some folk who think they're stars, too. But we're not stars. In a very real sense, our lives are intended to be like those spotlights that point people to Jesus. God wants to position us. Now listen to this. God wants to position you and I along the roads of life that we walk so as to help people to, to come to Jesus with what we say and what we do. Did you catch that? God wants to position us in what we, where we go, the places we travel, etc., so that we have opportunity to point people to Jesus through what we say and what we do. <laughs> have you ever been out with those dear saints of God who, who, if you didn't know that they were saints of God, you wouldn't know they were saints of God? How is that going to guide people to Jesus? 
Because in those moments where we lose our Christianity and we go hog wild in our carnality because something has upset us, something the steak didn't come out the way we ordered it. The burger came, it was supposed to be plain and dry, but it's got all this salad on it. Woe is me. I didn't ask for French fries. I wanted a baked potato. Of course, we all know, because I'm very quick to, to tell you this, my biggie, Linda, traffic. How I wish there were times in my life that I could literally go, oops, and just move someone. You know what I mean? If, if, if it was, if no one would really get hurt, but my ego and my pride was just stroked enough because I just knocked that person out of my lane, it would just, I would, I would literally pull over the side of the road, worship the Lord, get convicted about what I just did, and then have to ask the Lord to forgive me. Of course, it's not that bad. I'm exaggerating. But if, if the Lord is trying to position us to say and do things that will move people closer to Christ, maybe we need to watch what we're doing and saying and how we're moving people. Because believe it or not, we actually are influencers. Okay? Okay? As we mentioned earlier in the message, it's likely that these wise men uh, did their best on their journey home to tell people about their encounter with the Lord. However, there's no doubt uh, this is what we see happening uh, in Paul's life as God uses him to point other people to Jesus in the pages of the New Testament. We all know how Paul came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that was a massive turnaround on his part. And so for him to turn and having met the Lord Jesus Christ in the way he met him in a very dynamic way like the wise men did, well then he's going to want to tell people. And that is exactly what Paul does. That's exactly what Paul does. Paul shines a spotlight of his life, encounters with Jesus on the path other people have been walking. Did you hear that? Paul takes his experiences with the Lord and he shines that light on other people's paths so that they have a connection to this Lord Jesus. They can see where they're headed in this. He does this to help them see where they have been and how that connects with where they are headed, which ultimately leads to an encounter with Jesus in their own right. Now, the whole idea of witnessing and evangelism anymore, that's no longer a hot topic. It just isn't. But, if the only reason He came to earth was to redeem mankind, and now Romans tells us, how are they going to hear without a preacher? And I'm sorry, preachers 
We're way outnumbered by the population. So what the population needs is surrogate preachers. That'd be you. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to kind of, you know, do that to y'all, but it's, it is what it is. Amen? Yeah. At this point in Paul's life, as recorded in Acts chapter 13, he's not too far into the beginning of his first missionary journey, and he's accompanied by his buddy Barabbas. They were sent out by the church uh, uh, at Antioch in Syria um, and sailed to the island of Cyprus. And the purpose at Cyprus was to share the gospel with people uh, on that island where Barnabas originally called that home. Now, as they traveled together, Acts 13, 14, and 15 says what Paul and Barnabas did next after they made it to their destination. Now listen to this. Listen to how this works out. Acts 13, 14, and 15. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, in that, at that time and in that culture, it was customary for the leader of the synagogue to call on any visitors to give a word to the rest of the group. I don't recommend that today. That custom would also, I mean, if, if you're a visitor and here I am and I say, Oh, by the way, sir, ma'am, if you have a word from the Lord, stand up and give it to the people. Now, we're, we're a, by denominational affiliation, we're a Pentecostal church. But we have people here who are from Baptist backgrounds, who are from Catholic backgrounds, who are from Episcopal backgrounds, and I think there may be others. But can you imagine someone who would normally come here and decide you know, this is a good church. I'd like, to, I'd like to stay here and attend here and become a member here. And the preacher get up the first time they show up at church and say, hey, you got a word from the Lord, and the only thing that they know how to do is ominous deus. You know, I mean, that would not work out well. And they would probably flip out. So I don't recommend that anymore. However, that, that flipping out, that, oh, my word, I can't do it, that was not the case with Paul. Paul had no fear regarding his declaration and proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. On that particular day, when he was received that message, Paul was uh, visiting this synagogue in Antioch. When they offered him the floor to extend a word to everybody who was present in the synagogue, he took the opportunity to say a few things. Notice how Paul begins to point to the spotlight of the historical road that these people who are sitting here in the synagogue, he's using a historical play-by-play commentary here showing them, these people, how they and their Jewish ancestors had lived and progressed through time bringing these people where they were right now. Listen to this. Acts 13, verses 16 through 25. So Paul stood up. And motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, 
And you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. Now, just for the record, the word great here does not mean powerful and prestigious and influential. That's not what it means. Remember that at the close of the Genesis, uh, we have little more than a family moving to Egypt. Family, their servants, and that's it. Okay? By the time that the Exodus rolls around and Moses, through the Lord, delivers them out of Egypt, we're talking about over 3, 4 million people over a 450-year period of time. So when we use the word great here, we're not talking about whoa. We're talking about population. Okay? Moving right along. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No. But behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. This is the first sermon we have recorded by the Apostle Paul. He didn't just give an Old Testament and a New Testament history lesson here. Rather, what he was doing was shining a spotlight in a historical context on the road that the listeners at this synagogue had been walking and led them to the moment where they were sitting in Paul's presence and being introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ. As N.T. Wright once said, Paul, quote, is setting up a system of signposts from David a thousand years before to John a mere 15 or 20 years earlier. And all the signposts point to, the, to one person, Jesus the Messiah, the Rescuer, end quote. It is the same Messiah and Rescuer the wise men had been guided to in the early days of, of, of Jesus' life whether through a miraculous, amazing star in the sky or through an intentional follower, Paul, of Jesus Christ shining a spotlight of the gospel on people that he came in contact with, there's a possibility of a joy-filled miracle at the end of that road for anyone who encounters the Lord Jesus Christ and comes to him in belief. Everything Paul was saying to his audience was shining the spotlight on a recognizable signpost that pointed them to the next part of their faith journey and that would eventually lead them to Jesus. God chose to plant some people throughout history 
ultimately to point others to the Messiah. Paul was one of them. Did you notice what Paul said? It's an interesting observation here. In the 17th verse of Acts 13. The God of this people, the God of this people, chose our fathers. Do you see that? That's an intentional call to do a thing. What Paul is saying about God choosing people is this. God chose the Jewish fathers to be a spotlight shining on the way that eventually led to Jesus. God chose the judges to be a spotlight shining on the way that eventually led to Jesus. God chose kings to be spotlights shining on the way that eventually led to Jesus. And each of these spotlights shining on the road throughout history are not events. These are people to be spotlights shining the way that point other people to Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, you are a chosen people to be spotlights for the express purpose, I'm sorry, of shining your light on the pathway to eventually get people to Jesus. That's why we're here. Paul is not a star in the sky, but rather he's acting like a spotlight that shines light on this road of history for the Jews. God gave His people judges to lead them until the the time of Samuel and when people clamored for a king, and then God gave them what they wanted. They They gave Him a king. Unfortunately, that particular chapter in Jewish history didn't go so well with respect to the leadership of King Saul. Saul was confused. Saul got confused. And he thought he was meant to be a destination rather than a spotlight. See, Saul thought he was the end, not the means. That was the problem that he had. Saul became a glory hog who kept shining the spotlight on himself instead of shining it on the Lord God. Don't ever shine shine light on yourself. Don't avoid that like like the plague. You're as important as you are to him, he is far more important to this story than you. I mean, even John the Baptist. How many people end up in the New Testament Gospels by name as a major figure who don't just do the job, but are prophesied about millennium before? He did. And what's he say? When it's time for the Lord to come on the scene, and he dis- and it's time for him to be ushered away, the only question John asked was, is it really you? And when Jesus said, yeah, it's me, he said, I have to decrease. See ya, kids. We aren't the light show. We are not the lights, the stars. We're just spotlights showing on the path for other people to come to know Him. And what's great about that is then they're supposed to turn around and have a light to show themselves. And then they show other people. That's how we work this way. 
So Saul, <laughs> he messed it up. God allowed Saul's spotlight to burn out in a deadly defeat in war before putting the next king in place, who was David. Acts 13 and 22. I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. You know, Paul is shining a light back on David, who's very important, very important to the Jewish people. Especially that, not especially, but including that audience that he was speaking to there in Antioch. Now, if you know anything about David, and you read this statement by God concerning David, maybe you get hung up saying, okay, God really dug David that much, and yet David did everything he did. See, there's a difference, and this is what I was trying to push several weeks ago when talking about redemption and salvation. We're just human people. David wasn't where he should have been. David got caught up in himself. But when he was called on the carpet for it, what did he do? Run, hide, blame everybody else? No, he took the heat on himself. Yes? That's called repentance. Amen? That's why, and it's that function, that operation, why we don't have to think God is perpetually angry with us. Don't get me wrong. You sow, you're going to reap. But that doesn't mean God's given up on you. Hello? God doesn't give up on His people. He came to say... He, he gave us grace because He knows we're sheep. Remember last week? Yeah. So Saul boneheaded this up. And if you hung up on David... David wasn't perfect. That's true. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But he was available. He was available. And he desired to be used by God to the point where other people, point other people, if he could do it, toward the Lord. And he was an example. Just read the Psalms. You know, if you want to be a part of history... How many would like to have be a part of history? No, no, nobody wants to be a part of history. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't care. I want to live an uneventful life. I'm, I don't know. I don't know about you. I want to be a part of history. And that's a big order for me. Some of you only know me a little bit. Some of you only know me in part. I know me down to my core. And to want to be a part of history is a big deal for me. And you know what's funny? You are, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how I know? Because one of the things we think about of history is history books, right? And what happens at the end of history? He looked in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if your name was written there. Yes? Yeah. We're all part of history. The question now is, how big a part of history do you want to be? Listen to Acts chapter 13, verse 23. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as He promised. Paul then reminds everyone 
that this is the same Savior that John the Baptist was preparing the way for before Jesus began his public ministry. Again, God is faithful to point uh, to, to point the wise men to Jesus through a star as well as through a prophet who pointed uh, people to uh, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. God's faithful. He uses people. Later, Paul shows his audience where the spotlight ultimately points. Later in Acts chapter 13, let, let, listen to this. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you, and by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. In other words, look, guys, if you can't figure out why Jesus came and why working hard isn't going to get you to heaven, that said it. You need Jesus to forgive you and you need to be in pursuit of Him as He pursues you. Because He has redeemed you already. And as children of God, do your dead level best. John said, don't sin. But if you do, we have an advocate. Paul's strategy of pointing the spotlight on the historical road of his Jewish audience in such a way that it shines on Jesus, that's challenging. That's a challenge. But it encourages us to understand our audience well enough to know how to tell them the story that you and I have already experienced, but will point them toward Jesus in a way that they will find compelling, that they will find interesting, and that they will find authentic. Don't regurgitate what someone else said. Tell them about how you interacted with Christ. Tell them about how Christ interacted with you. You see, back in Paul's day, that whole history lesson he gave early on in Acts 13, that kind of stuff was important to those people. Real important. Because this is the thing. They understood their history. But this is what they wanted to know as first century Jews when they're hearing about Jesus. This is what they want to know. Is it true? That was their question. Is it true? Help me see that this journey that you're talking about leads to what is true historically and is fulfilled in prophetic truth of the coming Messiah. Is it true? That's what they wanted to know. However, we're in the 21st century and we're not Jewish. That's not what we're asking. When you go and speak to people about the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not asking if it's true. They want to know something different. They want to know this. Does it work? Does Jesus work in your life? Does following Jesus make any difference for you? Does being a Christian make life, uh, make life work in a better, more fulfilling way? Are you happy? Does it work? Does it work? That's what they want to know today. That's what they want to know. That's why. You know why that's what they want to know? Here's why. That's why so many people read customer reviews or customer comments before making decisions about various things that's going to cost them their hard-earned money. 
They want to know if the product they're thinking about buying or the restaurant that they're thinking about going out to eat at or the vacation spot where they're thinking about and considering about taking their family to is actually worth it and it's going to work for them. That's why so many of the people we encounter may be more receptive if we share how Jesus and we interact together. Answering the question, does it work? Yes, it works. Let me tell you why. And I'm giving five stars to review Jesus. So, a lot of us have a lot of stuff stored up in our heads that we feel like we need to have on tap in order to talk to people about Jesus. There have been countless entire evangelistic programs designed for people to memorize and reduce to, to a science to get people to come to Jesus. When in reality, in this century, we probably need to be giving our own testimonials about how this product, Jesus, works for us. Shining a, your spotlight on the perspective of here is what Jesus means to me and why I believe in Him will likely work far better than anything you could just regurgitate up from something else. Each situation is different. I get that. But, question as I close this morning. Will you be a person this Christmas who lives your life intentionally on purpose to shine the light that resides in you on the path of others and tell them this is Jesus and this is why you need him and I will tell you why I did is that you are you willing to do that Because you know what? A star led the wise men for God only knows how far. A light in the dark. John the Baptist was a light pointing toward the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Paul was a spotlight showing His light on the pathway of the lost to come to know Jesus. Here's the question. This world, it could be, it could be high noon. But this world's a dark place. And the question is, will you be a light this Christmas guiding people to the foot of Jesus Christ? That's the question Stand with me all over the building.